0: I'm Kim Grounds of Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Bounce back week in Tempe, Arizona with a one o'clock kickoff. Mm Down in the desert, which hasn't happened for a couple of years for Arizona State. If you get a chance uh, the other day we did the podcast with Chris Cartman, who covers Arizona State and big breakdown by Chris and he does a really good job getting into depth about what to expect from Arizona State. but uh, you know they they have those night Chris, we have those night games once in a while. It seems like maybe two or three times they have it pretty much every week. so uh, down at Arizona State he's thrilled to have a one o'clock game. So um, did you say it was 2015 since we last played down here in the desert um, uh, in the afternoon? I think that's the last
1: time I remember because that was Jake Browning's uh, freshman year. That was so obviously Chris Peterson's second season, but that was the first year Browning and they were ahead, I think by a couple touchdowns going into halftime. And then he decided to give the game away with a bunch of picks. And then Arizona State came back and eventually won the game. So that's the last time I remember Washington playing in the desert. But they haven't won the last seven times they've played. They haven't beaten Arizona State and Tempe since 2001. So –
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'm down on the field and the one thing that you always notice about the field, it's grass, but it's a different type of grass down here at Arizona State where you go into the Rose Bowl or some of the other stadiums that have the grass like the Coliseum. And, you know, I mean, it's an inch and a half two inches long at times and they can let it grow out a little bit to slow the game down. But when you get down to the uh, Arizona state and their grass is it's, it's really tight. It's kind of like a tight knit and it's known for being real fast. It's probably one of the best surfaces, you know, for grass um, that I've seen and the players seem to really like it. But even though it's a grass turf, it's a very very fast grass turf and i think the players just love playing on that and i i know some people think that there's a big difference playing on grass and you know synthetic turf but i don't i think for football it's just a matter of having the right cleats and the right shoes and you're fine soccer people tell me it makes a little bit more of a difference but i don't think there's that big of a difference with grass so i know scott won't agree with me
2: nope not at all i don't the Washington's record on grass is terrible. I, it, it might just be a psychological thing, Kim. It, it might not be, um, r- uh, related to reality, but I, I just, the Huskies play terrible on grass. You know, I mean, the last grass win that I remember was, uh, USC in 20, 2015. And, um, but other than that, I mean they're Washington's oh, I'm sorry, they beat they beat Stanford last year on, on grass, but it just doesn't happen very often. Washington does not play well on grass for whatever reason. You can you can say it's psychological, you can say it's reality, whatever it is, they don't play well. But um, you know, I, I think Arizona State is is a very winnable game for Washington. They shouldn't have issues uh, down there. It's gonna be dry. And even if it does have a little bit of a thunderstorm, it's not going to be like soaking wet or muddy or anything like that. So, um, you know, I, I, I think Washington wins this game, but uh, this by no means is a gimme.
0: Yeah. You know, and I keep on looking at the temperature and keeps going down. So, you know, right now I'm looking, it's probably going to be in the low to mid eighties, you know, at around game time, which is fine. And I know everybody, you know, the running joke is it's a dry heat, but there's just no humidity down here. So, you know, 90 degrees down here feels like, but 80 degree, 80 or 90 degrees, it seems like it's about seven or eight degrees difference where it's 90 degrees and it maybe feel like it's low 80s in Seattle. So um, it's just a little bit different type of heat, and I don't think it's really going to have an impact, especially with everything, you know, the cool fans and everything they bring. And you, Chris Fetters, are going to be up in the press box, and it's fully enclosed with air conditioning, and I'm going to get being pelted by the sun, which is fine with me.
1: Well, do you want the you are also talking about the potential for thunderstorms, so do you want
0: that? Uh, gonna- I don't have, I, I didn't bring any rain gear, so yeah, just as long as it, I, I can could take the thunder as long as it doesn't rain and then I'll find an escape. I am
1: trying to wear rain gear and that kind of thing with a thunderstorm and feel like you're basically in a sauna. <laughs> it just sounds awful.
0: I'd rather have this than 40 degrees on husky stadium, you know, that wind and the cold and the wet, you know, so I can take the heat but I'll take I'll take the heat over the cold any day. I think most of the players, you know, uh, prefer the cold, but yeah, I prefer the I prefer the heat. So
1: honestly, honestly, the hardest part about the game on uh, today is, is the fact that it's the exact the the start times the exact same time as Game Two of the Mariners and Blue Jays. That's the that's the hardest part.
0: So are you gonna have it on? Are you gonna have it on your screen? Are you gonna be distracted?
1: I have made arrangements with with Arizona State's uh, sports information director, and we will. I think we will have a screen available to us at some point, somewhere in the press box. So yes, that's that's getting taken care of.
0: All right, and just keep me up to date with what's going on. <laughs> so, try, we'll try. Yeah. Anyways, just um, you know, uh, Arizona State again. Talking to Chris Cartman. It's been Kind of a mess down at Arizona state for a while, specifically when they, you know, announced that the investigation was going on down there. It looks like we've got a couple of defections already from the Arizona state team. And I've heard that there could be more where guys who've played four games, not wanting to play or practice and preserve their red shirt to make a decision, whether they want to stay uh, at Arizona state for next year or go ahead and enter the transfer portal. So, um, you know, looking Chris and Scott, looking at that USC game last week, I think they looked better than I anticipated. But it'll be interesting to see this week if some of the defections I'm hearing about actually take place and see if they can play as well as they did against USC.
2: Yeah, I think I think I don't know if you're going to see anybody leave per se, but I I think you're going to um you're gonna well I mean we saw the car um what is the name of the twins that are leaving? The Markham yeah, twins, Keywan yeah, and Keon. Yeah, and those were guys that Washington was actually recruiting um, back in the day uh, under Jimmy Lake, and um, they decided to go to Arizona State, and they have a couple starts between the two of them this year, and both have decided to, that they're not going to play anymore. So, um, yeah, I I don't I think it's just more of the attitude around the the program if a lot of these guys, even if they're even if they're uh, you know, not bailing. They're they're going to play out the string uh, with with the program this year. Um, you know, it's it's got to be mentally tough on them to st- st- keep their head completely in the game when everybody around them is starting to leave and and there's bad attitudes and stuff. I've been at companies where uh, the, um, there was a management change, kind of like what's going on with ASU right now. And people were like, I'm bailing. And I remember it was really hard to keep my focus on the things I needed to work on because people people were were bailing. And, and I was like, am I on a sinking ship? Am I staying on a sinking ship or are these guys just bad actors? You know what what's going on? And so I've got to believe that it's going to have some sort of a detriment to their to their focus.
0: And, Chris, you take a look at Arizona State. And again, I was talking to Chris Cartman about this. You know is it finally time for Arizona State to be called you know stop being called a sleeping giant and just actually hire a coach who could take them to the level that they deserve you know because the name that is being mentioned down here quite a bit and it seems to be the fan favorite to be hired is Kenny Dillingham the offensive coordinator at Oregon he's an Arizona State alum and as well as he was a grad assistant at Arizona State but he's never been a head coach and he's pretty young and there again if that's the higher they're going to make i think they're going to continue down the same path that they've been heading down being that you know sleeping giant that just has never got there
1: well i happen to agree with chris in, in the sense that if you if we're starting to look at those kind of 10,000 foot conversations in terms of why Arizona state hasn't fulfilled its promise why they haven't been able to to really achieve the success you'd expect that they should Achieve given the fact that they can attract the, the kind of talent that they do, uh, you know you've got to look past the head coach, you've got to look past the athletic director, you got to start looking at like the, the real higher ups like the president. You got to start to look at those guys and see are there impediments in in the higher levels of the administration that are really causing Arizona State football to struggle.
0: And, and that's so, my that's Michael Crow. And for those who've been following it, Michael Crow was the most ardent Larry Scott supporter that was out there. And, you know, I asked Chris if um, uh, what's his name, the athletic director, uh, Ray. Ray yeah. Ray Anderson was going to be the one making the call, but they fired a search firm. <laughs> so well, they all have to do that. That's just Todd you. Turner's search but, firm. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, you know, other names that are being bandied about uh Brian Harson, which you know the people I've talked to said Brian Harson would be a really good fit at Arizona State. Um I think all of us kind of scratched our heads when he was named the head coach down at Auburn, but um I think that Brian Harson would be a good fit there. Bill O'Brien is still hanging out there, too. I think Bill O'Brien would be a really good fit, too. So it'll be interesting to see if they go with a proven coach like a Brian Harson, a Bill O'Brien or even the other guy, um, the um, guy who just got um, Paul Chris, who just got fired at Wisconsin. One, a guy like that or if they go with the unproven guy like Kenny Dillingham.
1: Well, it's just it's interesting because they've kind of gone the proven coach route, whether it was Herm Edwards or Todd Graham or guys like that. You know, I've even heard Dirk Cutter's name being thrown out now that he's back on the college scene and at Boise State, which to me would be just insanity. I don't think there's any way that Dirk Cutter ends up at Arizona State again. But but if if you're you know, if we're talking about Arizona State, we've we've been talking about some some weird decisions that have been made. I we all remember what our initial reactions were when Herm Edwards was hired. We we're like, this isn't going to work. You know, they were talking about like an NFL style structure and in terms of their management and things like this. And it's just like, no, 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 you, It's like you're trying to reinvent a wheel that hasn't <laughs> that, that doesn't need to be reinvented. So... Um, that was always strange to me. So I, I think if you start to really look at, at at people like Michael Crow and and if you look at, at kind of maybe how they've been running the show uh, until those guys get out of, of, of office at ASU, you, you, I think the Sun Devils may still continue to struggle and still continue to make questionable decisions. But that being said, I, I don't see any reason why they shouldn't go for a high-level coordinator with Arizona State ties that has – a real affinity for the program and wants to see it succeed succeed and and move to the next level so a guy like dillingham i think makes total sense
0: what's kind of crazy too is before um herm edward was hired uh one of the guys that they were really talking to and heavily involved with was jimmy lake was a big-time candidate for that head t- coaching job at the time i know jimmy'd love to have it now but you know that was one of the jobs that jimmy was definitely up for back in the day do you remember that scott
2: Yes, I do. I do actually, and uh, but I think he had his highs set higher than that. I mean, I I think the Arizona State interest. I mean, why would you go to Arizona State? And you know, which is, I mean, what what would what would you say Arizona State is in the pecking order of the Pac-12? It's you in
0: know? the middle, yeah, middle,
2: middle, with top
0: and, side, with top and, upside.
2: Well, maybe, but the, he had schools from other from across the country that were looking at him like. Um, you know, LSU was looking at him a little bit and, and some of these other schools. And I, I don't know. I I I don't think Jimmy, I, I think he would take that job in a heartbeat right now. But I don't think he would have back then.
0: Yeah. The thing that makes Arizona State so attractive is because of its location. Not only do you have the great weather, but you can recruit from Cal. You can recruit from Texas. It's not that far away. You can recruit from the Midwest. And with the with the you know, the weather that they're bringing It's an attractive place. And that's one of the reasons people can never understand why they haven't been able to really pull it together down there, because they seem to have all the resources. In addition, recruiting wise, a lot of people are moving into Arizona and there's a lot more prospects in Arizona over the last few years than there were like 10, 12 years ago. And Scott, I I always say that the two biggest recruiting areas that are blowing up and just producing more players are Arizona and Utah.
2: You know, the Phoenix area is one of the fastest growing metropolitan areas in the country as far as recruits and and all that stuff. Utah, um, you know, th- there's a lot of guys down in that mountain region. Blair Angulo does a good job for 247 and covering those guys. Brendan Huffman and Greg Biggins also help out with those guys, too. But um, yeah, Arizona has had a ton of people move into that that region. Um, there are a lot of people locating down there. And like you said, Kim, there are a lot of Big time uh, prospects coming out of that state.
0: Chris, health wise, going into the game, it it seems like there's been no changes. The only person that I saw really. Um you know, who may be uh, a little bit questionable it was Henry Bainavalu. His name hasn't come up, but Henry looked like he took a ding and was on the bench in the last couple of drives down at UCLA. Other than that, they seem to be pretty healthy as far as we know. Um, no new injuries. We'll see if Elijah Jackson uh, and Asa Turner come back. I'm trying to remember what Coach DeBoer said about Asa. Was he ready to go or was he hopeful?
1: I think he he kind of hinted that it was like, going to be probably a game to. Time decision, much like it was with Perryman in the last couple weeks. Um, the only guy that he said was pretty much out would be Michelle Powell. So obviously corner, still a thin situation there. Um, Julius Irvin's trying to hold down that one side and you've got those freshmen coming in and Devon Banks and Javion Green. So you've got those guys trying to fill the gaps right now. Uh, and we'll see how they they go up against the, uh, um, I think Arizona State's, you know, they, they've got some talented receivers out there. I think Elijah Badger has really showed himself up to be a really, really good top-end guy in the Pac-12. Um, we got to look at see some of these other guys behind him to see if they kind of step up a little bit. And then they also pass to the running backs out of the backfield, too. So ex um, you know, guys like Daniel Nagata, who we know from Ariel Nagata's younger brother. Um, he's going to get opportunities as well. So they've got skill guys around uh asu quarterback emory jones but um whether or not they can put it all together is, is another thing because if you look at the statistics kim emory jones is just not passing that well he passes okay in terms of percentage but they're only averaging uh slightly over like 210 yards a game passing whereas obviously washington's going off the chart and going like for 350 a game so it, it definitely uh production wise is it's going to be an interesting thing to watch today
0: yeah, you talk about Emory Jones, and he's the quarterback transfer from Florida, and I think everybody had high hopes from him. And I think he's a good quarterback. But one of the stats that you always look at with quarterbacks is you look at the touchdown to interception ratio. He only has four passing touchdowns, but three interceptions. So you know, after five games, that's kind of a number that kind of jumps out at you that you know they may not be getting it done in the passing game.
1: Yeah, and the other yeah. thing to note too is that if anybody watched the USC game. They really played well uh, against USC to start. So they clearly had a good game plan going in. They were able to strike a little bit. They were able to do a little bit of things. Run pass mix was pretty strong. I'm not sure USC is the best in terms of run game defense, that kind of thing. So they were able to take advantage a little bit, but as soon as they got in the locker room for halftime, USC clearly made some changes and were able to do some adjustments, and then that, that's when they kind of were able to extend and eventually win that game pretty comfortably. Um, that's when I'm I'm kind of wondering again the way that Washington was able to adjust and really take advantage in the second half against UCLA. Um, I'm wondering if if maybe we might see some of that stuff as well. It certainly would not surprise me at all if. Uh, ASU gets off to a hot start offensively today just because they showed it against USC and they do have enough skill, uh, skill and playmakers on offense to get that done.
0: It's got one of the emphasis on the coaches that they said was a big part of the game was that Washington had no turnovers. They were unable to force any turnovers, which has been unlike them in the previous games. So I I think that's going to be the key to this game on the defensive side of the ball, Will Washington be able to force some turnovers. And with Emory Jones back there, four touchdowns and three interceptions, sounds like they may have some opportunities.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, he hasn't thrown um, a lot of interceptions, but um, a lot of it's going to be Washington being able to get some pressure on him, get him off his spot. He does not throw as well on the run as a lot of other, um, you know, more mobile quarterbacks can do. They usually can throw pretty well on the run, and he—I don't think he's that well, that great as a that accurate as a thrower on the run, or even it, when you get him off his platform. And I think that's where Washington, Braylon Trice uh you know ZTF and Jeremiah Martin and possibly Sabel Smalls are all going to come in handy, you know, get to just throw waves of guys at Adam. And they also need to blitz a little bit more. I think they're going to send I think you'll see uh, Alfonso Tupatala get sent a few more times as a blitzer. Maybe Cam Bright, maybe uh Chris Mole. And um, you know, I I just I think the, the biggest thing is going to have to be to get him off of his off of his spot. If they get him off of his spot, they're gonna have a good chance at getting some things done and then then the the uh corners and the safeties are going to have to make plays on the ball when it's in the air and, and a big part of that is going to be Julius Servin, Devon Banks, Jordan Perryman, possibly Elijah Jackson, those guys are going to and Javion Green, those guys are going to have to be within striking distance of the wide receivers because there are a couple couple plays last week against UCLA where the, the where the corners were just completely juked out of their shoes. And um, they weren't within five yards of the wide receiver when they made a catch.
0: Chris, if Washington wins the toss today, are you taking the ball? or Are you going to defer? I think their
1: game plan has typically been to defer. Um, but if you know if they, it, it, but if they, if Arizona State does end up on on offense first, I think you know getting him off his, getting Emory Jones off his spot, like Scott said, I think is really key. But they really need to hunt in packs and they need to pursue him because when you try to compare him with DTR for instance DTR is probably not as big as Emory Jones like physically but he's probably a little shiftier maybe a little bit better runner but Jones is going to pose a running threat so if you get him off getting him off his spot is going to be a, a big part of it but you, that's not where it's won or lost you got to you got to take that that guy down when the scramble starts to happen, they've got to be able to hunt in packs and uh, do like coach in says and, and have a bunch of goons around the ball. They got to really get after it and really do the pursue. And so that's where we start to t- talk to the original things, the storylines we were talking about in terms of the heat, the weather, things like that, how well have they hydrated. This is going to tell, I think, obviously in the second half. But to start the game, uh, I think they would probably defer if they won.
0: Washington, as the coaches said, they had a bad second quarter against UCLA, and then the offense seemed to really come together in the second half. So we'll talk about the Washington's offense versus Arizona's defense when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. Welcome back. I'm Kim Greenolds along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Washington versus Arizona State at one o'clock kickoff at Tempe. It's probably be 105, 110, something closer to that. It's on the Pac 12 channel, correct, Chris?
1: That's true. Yep. Pac 12 channel.
0: Yeah. Again, Expecting a small crowd. So uh, last week, the last game at Arizona State was a small crowd and expecting another small crowd again at Arizona State this weekend. So we'll see how that plays out. But Michael Penix... Had a you know bad second quarter last week versus UCLA throwing a couple of interceptions, and we broke that down earlier this week. But it's going to be interesting to see how this offense comes out because I think that they want to establish the run, but I think that they can attack that Arizona State defense and have a lot of success doing so.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think they, they can do that. I think Penix has shown, especially he came back in the second half against UCLA and really led them to some nice drives. And and um, and showed that he could kind of quickly bounce back and get back to the form that we've seen uh, him uh, so far this year. It's just that, you know, early on, I don't know whether or not he felt like the need to set the tone or to maybe he felt like guys around him weren't maybe doing the doing the jobs that they needed to do. But it sure felt like he forced a couple things. And um, and also, you know, at least one of those interceptions, a really good play. By one of their uh, one of their linebackers to almost kind of go Penix into thinking he was going to do one thing, and as soon as the ball came out of his hand, he quickly turned and and uh, was able to make the pick. So, um, you know, a good play by you know. Hopefully, the play should be there all the time, but you know, it's one of those things where if if Penix is making a certain type of throw, sometimes especially when it's that far downfield guys, you know, that that ball was what, probably 20, 25 yards downfield. Sometimes if it hangs up a little bit, that's going to allow the other team to make a play.
0: Scott is uh, Richard Newton starting to climb the depth chart a little bit.
2: I don't know. It's hard. It's really kind of hard to tell. I, I, I mean, he did get in there against uh, UCLA. Uh, We saw Will Nixon get some carries. We got saw Cam Davis get some carries and Wayne Talapapa kind of led the way. And, uh, you know, I don't know. I, I think I think they like how hard he runs and how he doesn't go down with the first tackle. But I also think that they really like what those other three bring. Will will Nixon's um, more of your receiver kind of slash guy. And and then Cam Davis has has been very productive and Wayne Talapapa has been very productive. So could he be climbing the depth chart? Maybe. But who, who's who's he climbing over? I, 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 don't, I don't think uh, – the, the pass protection that Wayne Talapapa provided last weekend was unreal. I mean he was awesome last week, and Cam Davis I thought was pretty good in pass pro too. Um, and so I, I just don't know if, if he's going to have the opportunity to climb above anybody, at least the way they're playing right now.
0: I think one of the big things, and Chris Cartman talked quite a bit about it, is just how awful – And just downright awful that Arizona State has been on defense on third down conversion. They're playing a lot of cover two, cover three, and they're just giving up a lot of underneath, afraid to give up that big play. But I think it's going to be a lot of opportunities for Michael Penix, uh, Jalen McMillan, and even the tight ends over the middle. And, you know, those five to ten yard routes while they're playing the cover two and cover three, Uh, Chris. And I I think that uh, Jack Westover could be a guy that could have a big game this afternoon. Yeah,
1: I was just looking it up, and Arizona State right now is giving up third downs at a clip of about 48%. Um, that is good for 124th in the country when looking at third down percentage. Um, and I was also looking real quick at the last two opponents that played in Sun Devil Stadium in terms of kind of the run pass mix when you were talking about Talapapa and maybe he could have another big game. Um, Utah is the last team that they played. Obviously, Utah is really, really good. They ran for over 200 yards. Eastern Michigan ran 51 times for 305 yards against Arizona State. If Eastern Michigan could go 51 times for 305, I'm not saying Washington should match that, but that tells you that they could be opportunities to be had depending on what they do. Um, and especially if we continue to see this, this mix of Jackson Kirkland going inside to left guard and Troy Fautanu playing outside at left tackle. If that continues to be the way that they want to approach this thing, um, having that having that extra beef and that extra nasty inside could maybe could maybe pay off between the tackles today. We'll see what happens.
0: And, Chris, if you take out the Northern Arizona game out of the equation for uh, Arizona State's defense, they've given up 30 out of 54 attempts on third down conversions. So 30 of 54 times t- if you take out that Northern Arizona game. And that's well, well, well over 50 percent on third down. And that's just not going to fly for a defense.
1: Yeah, it's it, it will be interesting because it's not like Washington's defense – was great against UCLA on third down either. They really needed to get off the field uh, in a bunch of situations and couldn't do it. So, does this game have the feel or the makeup of a shootout today? Yeah, it, in many ways it does, but I think a lot of it will a lot of that part of it will depend on how well Arizona State is able to su- sustain drives on offense. Because when we talk about Washington's offense, we've already seen there's a, a long established pattern through these first five games of them being able to go the length of the field, have 10 play drives, 13 play drives, you know, kill four or five minutes off the clock. They can strike fast, too, if they need to. But they can also move the chains, milk clock, do that kind of stuff, too. And obviously, that's really, really important when you're
0: on the road. last week, uh, Southern Cal converted eight out of nine attempts. And you talk about that Eastern Michigan game. Eastern Michigan was 11 for 15 converting on third downs uh, against Arizona State's defense. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on is those third and fourth down opportunities for Washington, especially finding those seams. Over the middle, if uh, Arizona State's going to continue to play, you know, cover two, cover three, and play their safeties way back and open up the middle. But, you know, Scott, what have you seen from Arizona State that you think that Washington can exploit?
2: Well, I, you know, I, I think they they have some impressive guys up front, and I don't know why if it's a scheme thing or whatever. So, um, I think Washington's got. A great opportunity to throw the ball around on this team i they they just they don't have anybody really special in that back part of the you know back third of the defense and and I think with washington's route running and the way these guys are getting open and making plays on the ball i I agree with you Kim I think either jack Westover or devin Colt could have a have some real success in the middle of the in the middle of the Arizona State defense. Um, But I I think it's going to be the wide receivers who could put up some big numbers.
0: Scott, how much of a difference do you think week two of Kirkland inside and uh, Fa'atanu outside, maybe just having one game under their belt, do you think that you're going to see some improvement on that left side of the line? Not that it was bad. Jackson Kirkland was lineman of the week last week. But do you think that's going to pay a little bit more dividends this week?
2: I I think it will. Um, I think just the familiarity of working together because those two worked together last year, but it was reversed. Um, They played one game, I think it was the Apple Cup, where Fa'utanu started at left guard and and Kirkland started at left tackle. And and then they did that uh, for the Stanford game. Um, so this will be their fourth time starting together, and, and maybe the communication's a little bit better. Maybe Jackson feels a little bit more comfortable playing at left guard. He hadn't played left guard before. He'd played right guard but not left guard. So, um, yeah, I, I – and um, uh, Arizona State doesn't have the same kind of talent on the edges that UCLA did, and I think that will also help out both Roger Rosengarten and Troy Fauton.
0: Yeah, I just get this weird feeling in my stomach that today's game, I, I'm expecting a big game from Richard Newton. I don't know why. I just kind of have a funny feeling. We'll, we'll see if, uh, you know, that's something that really does happen or if it was the coffee I drank this morning. But I just get kind of this feeling that uh, uh, Richard Newton could have a big game today, Scott.
2: You know, I, you could that could be the case, definitely. I, I just, you know, I think it's more the coffee. That's my opinion, but you know we'll, we'll have to see. I, I'm not saying he can't he can't impact the game, Kim. I just I just don't know who he's getting reps over. Maybe he gets the third running back reps, but um, you know with the way Cam Davis and Talapapa are playing and the way they've been doing in, in their in their uh, rotation, I just don't know if Richard Newton's going to get the carries that you know, allow him to have. 70 80 90 yards I I think he might have 25 yards and maybe a touchdown and maybe a catch or two and he might get in for 10 to 15 plays but uh yeah I I I don't know if I see a big game from him but hey there's I'm not uh Nostradamus you know I don't I don't predict these things obviously um I've got the worst record of all the (laughs) um picks this year so there you go
0: who do you think give me your breakout player on offense for today, Scott?
2: Break breakout player,
0: uh you mean just the, yeah who's gonna have a big game?
2: Uh I think Penix. I think Penix is gonna have a real big game. I think he's gonna have another big game. Maybe maybe more along the line of what we're used to with him though. So um you know what? I'll I'll go with I'll go with Tallapapa. I think he tops a hundred yards this week.
0: Right, you got Talapapa, I got Richard Newton. Chris, who you got?
1: Well sure, I'll make it a I'll make it a trifecta and I'll go Cameron Davis. I just uh I think the reason why I like and I think I don't know if you guys agree with this as well, but the reason why I think a running back could break out today is not so much the fact that that Arizona State has shown some weakness in their in terms of their run defense. I just think that they're gonna probably try to show a little bit more man and 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 not allow Washington's receivers to just go crazy on them because they're going to try to stack the box. I think they really are going to try to pe- uh, pressure Penix as much as possible. And in those situations, I think those are where maybe the screen game comes into effect. And a guy like a Cam Davis or a guy like a Talapapa can break off a screen for like a long gainer. So I, I just think that that maybe some issues in the flats, uh, some of the screen game. I think this could really start to play into what Washington wants to do to try to offset Arizona State State trying to be really aggressive from the start and really try to take the game to Washington defensively. But I just wonder with all the turmoil going on, guys, in in Tempe and everything that we've heard, I just wonder how assignment sound these guys are going to be. I just really wonder how focused they're going to really be on this game. And I I could see some busts. I could see some things happening where – Maybe they're able to, to suck some some things in with play action and go over the top with guys like McMillan or Dunsey, Jalen Polk, Giles Jackson, maybe. So they, they may be able to, to mix a couple of those things in. But I, I think a guy like Cameron Davis might have a big day today.
0: We had a guy saying he's going to redshirt for the rest of the year who's played four games, some small recruiting updates, as well as a big signing, not big signing, a big commitment by the basketball team. That and more when we return. It's the guys from Dogman.com on Dogman Radio. We're back. It's the guys from Dogman.com. I'm Kim Grenell, along with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, and one o'clock kickoff again today down in Tempe. Temperature's expected in the mid-80s, and game will be broadcast on the Pac-12 channel, but make sure and follow the game blog on dogman.com on the forums and game day board, and we'll keep you up to date with anything that's going on. I'm down on the sidelines, so I'll be getting up to Chris and Scott, anything that's newsworthy on the sidelines. So just keep it here at dogman.com during the game. But a little bit of a surprise, Cam Williams said he's going to redshirt this year. What does that mean Scott
2: that means that he's leaving um in my opinion I mean it's it just you know he he's just he i think he sees the writing on the wall that there's other guys who are gonna play ahead of him and he's been a basically a healthy scratch i don't i don't I don't know if he's played um in a game since I want to say the Michigan State game but I could be wrong on that but um you know he's he's a guy who showed up with a lot of talent a lot of and and when we saw him in uh, fall camp before his his freshman year, we we said that guy's the one that's ready to go. And and yeah. he did start as a true freshman, but he struggled. He struggled. He struggled, he struggled in in uh, coverage. He struggled to come up and and really uh, be physical in the against the run. And I just don't think he fits this defense. He sees it. He probably doesn't have hold any grudges against uh, Coach Morrell or Coach coach brown but he's probably like hey i the future for me is somewhere else and i'm going to save a year of eligibility for myself
0: and when we get down to the field i'll make sure and let you guys know if he traveled i don't expect that to happen but another kid who's i just can't imagine being a college football player and all that's on my plate and having my dad out on social media and uh, Cam Williams' dad was definitely out on social media. So uh, we've seen this before though, Chris, haven't we?
1: We have. Um, I, I don't, I don't want to jump to conclusions and assume that he's going to go ahead and leave, but it, it does seem odd um, that he would make that decision now. But again, we just saw it uh, yesterday with, with the Markham brothers going into the portal at Arizona state. So this seems to be kind of a trend in college football now to try to preserve that year of eligibility. And and I think we're going to see it a lot more across the country, uh, especially with all the kind of the turmoil in the coaching ranks. Scott, he laid it out really, really well early in the podcast. Do you, know, what, what's your status? Do, should I be coming? Should I be going? Am I, am I on shifting sands here? What, what, what's my status? Well, I need to know, and so it's easy for a guy in Cameron Williams' situation to, to make the, that kind of a decision because they do have that one kind of get-out-of-jail-free card that you can use to go to another place and, and and have a fresh start, clean slate, all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I, 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 on the one hand, it's kind of the part and parcel of, of college football in this era and, and and what everyone's doing now with the transfer portal. On, on the other hand, it's a little disappointing that that he wasn't able to maybe stick it out and, and figure out where he could find his niche because he is a quality, quality defensive back. They need quality defensive backs right now. They're very thin, and he could have made a difference even on special teams. We're seeing how Carson Bruner is being an absolute demon on special teams, even if he's not necessarily starting. And so there are always roles for these guys if they can find him. But uh, it looks like uh, Cameron Williams has kind of already made his decision in that in that area.
0: And Scott, what you, you mentioned uh, out on the boards is what I think that the reaction to this, because you're going to see more and more guys get their four games in and then shut it down. And the 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 counter move on that is just to say, hey, five years eligibility, no red shirts. I, I think that's probably something we're going to see here sometime soon.
2: Oh, absolutely. This it'll just prevent guys from leaving. Um, you know, when after you've made the decision that you're going to stick with a school and and stick things out and play uh you need to be you need to be committed to that team in my opinion and right now there's a reason for them to not be committed to the team because they have the ability to save that year of eligibility well if you take that ability away then now they'll stick it out and at at the very least practice get better uh, from the coaches that they're being coached by, and then they can leave right after the season. And I, I think that's the best way to remedy this, where they can still play. They can have five years of eligibility to play now. I mean, think of how many records are going to break when kids can play for five years. And I mean, we're going to see it right now with, with guys who are going to be playing six years at schools because of the COVID year. So, um, yeah, that, that's kind of what we're looking at.
0: I think the original intent of the red shirt rule has out outlived its usefulness and outlived its um, desired intent. And I think I think it's just probably you're going to see more movement for that just five years. You know, and if you miss two years in a row, you'll be, you know, with an injury, you'll be eligible for one extra year. But that'll be really tough to get. But this whole. Scam of, you know, the red shirting and then four games and red shirting it just seems kind of like it's time to just move on and give five years worth of eligibility.
1: Yeah, <laughs> if, you guys, if you guys remember correctly, that was Chris Peterson's solution years ago. He, he's yeah. been advocating for that for a long, long time. So, yeah, I, I could certainly see it come around eventually just because the way the movement is right now. I don't think I don't think that the NCAA needs to put a stop to that because you're never going to be able to stop it. But can you contain it? Can you make it a reasonable thing? And I, I certainly think that this, you know, five years of eligibility just makes
0: too much sense. That's probably why it'll take a while, though, right? Probably. Yeah. Usually. It's
1: well, yeah. probably why it's already taken a while.
0: Yeah, uh, Scott, uh, not a ton going on in recruiting. Anything that you need to update?
2: No, not not a lot. Um, you know, just that the Huskies are still recruiting guys. They're still looking at bringing in about three or four guys in the in the class. They're at 19 right now. I still think there could be some movement with the guys that they have committed. I think you could see some guys uh, opt to go somewhere else, and Washington pick up some other guys. So um, you'll it'll we're going to be covering it, and and we have been. But um, at this point in time, I I think uh, you know. Washington is happy to kind of let things play out and see the way things go. And, and if they can make it uh, to the conference title game, possibly even win the conference title and and end up in a new year six game, um, you know, Washington will be able to have much better selection of guys toward the end of the class. And, and you're going to, you're going to see one big recruiting weekend uh, before signing day, which is in mid December. And um you know, I think Washington's going to wind up with a really nice class, and um, I, I think 2024 is the real big class that this this staff will be able to break out with.
0: Yeah, I think the key, um, you know, kind of something to keep your eye on is that bye week, and I can't remember when that is. You know when that is, Chris, by the way, or Scott?
2: It's the last weekend of the month.
1: Yeah, it's they've got they've got two games after, the, so they've got Arizona, and then I think it's is it Cal? Cal. Yeah. yeah then they have their bye, and then they have the Oregon State, Oregon games, and then they go from there.
0: Yeah. I think so, that game yeah. with the coaches out. On, I think that'll be a big uh, out on the road uh, week, a uh, total week for the uh, Washington coaches, where they'll be out on the road. And Scott, this happens every year. Some guys who are early commits don't have a good high school senior year, and some guys who maybe lower down on the chart skyrocket with an outstanding senior year. So. Yeah. Um is that what you would anticipate? The coaches out on the road during that bye week and maybe right after that we start seeing some movement with some new offers and maybe some guys moving on?
2: Yeah, maybe not new offers. It's kind of late to get in with an offer, but you never know. Um, but um I think what you'll see is guys that maybe committed to other schools and those schools haven't done as well and, and now they're looking at Washington and And Washington maybe comes in with an NIL deal that they like or whatever, and and gets them to kind of rethink their decision. So lots of stuff is going to happen between now and signing day, and it's going to be pretty crazy.
0: On the basketball front, Wesley Yates, he's the number two shooting guard in the country out of Beaumont, Texas. He's a cousin of Quincy Pondexter. He committed to Washington on Wednesday. Big, big, big get for the basketball program. They're only losing one guy off of the roster with um, eligibility, and that's Jamal Bay. And he's a guy that many would anticipate him just sliding in right into Jamal Bay's slot. And with everybody else that's his You know, with the basketball team returning, I think this year is going to be a good year for the basketball team. But I think the following year with a lot of the guys, they expect to come back and not lose anybody. I think the only question mark guy that possibly could leave. Would be um, Keon Brooks, the transfer from Kentucky, where he might want to, you know, test the waters with the NBA. But right now, uh, it takes a look. Looks like this is going to be a very good year for Washington, and then uh, next year, even better, coming back with that veteran team and adding the number two shooting guard in the country. And Chris, I think there's a lot of reason for optimism with the basketball program.
1: Yeah, there certainly is. I mean, we talked a little bit about it on Thursday, and. I think there's there's certainly reasons for optimism, not just because of the uh, uptick in, in terms of uh, talent and in terms of what they're bringing in, but also in terms of you know they're they're starting to really recruit now back toward the zone, so they're getting guys with some length, guys that can really affect things up up top. Um, so I think that's really, really important. But then they also got some really, you know, some some huge shot shot blockers, rim protectors, guys like Frank Kepnang that you've talked about, Braxton Maya from Fresno State. Um, so they're bringing in some guys with some real size and length to disrupt things in that zone, which I think Coach Hopkins, I think and he would admit it, that they kind of got away from that a little bit when they were trying to have to remake the roster a couple years ago. But now I think he's kind of found that sweet spot in terms of how many high school guys you bring in, how many of the five-star five, five star guys or the one-and-done guys to supplement an already strong core, which they, they've needed to have. And so bringing in a guy like Wesley Yates for next year when they're already going to have a real strong core of guys like noah williams and and if keon brooks stays obviously that would be monster but you've got cole basham you've got those bigs that i talked about um you you have those guys coming back in um this could be an exciting uh next few years for washington because a guy like yates could be um, a serious difference maker
0: and then again, you've got Corin, um, Corin Johnson from Garfield. I don't think you're going to see him at the beginning of the year. He had some shoulder surgery and he's been out for a while. And I keep on saying this wild card kid that they got out of Flint, Michigan, Keon Manafield. everybody just shakes their heads. And nobody can stop him. Uh, Will Conroy calls him a mini Jamal Crawford. And I was talking to Jamal uh, earlier this week and I. Called him a big Keon Menafield, and he thought that was pretty funny. So, that's kind of the guy that I'm really interested in seeing. He's six foot two and 100. He corrected me again. He's 146 pounds, not 145. He is rail thin, but he's just breaking everybody's ankles. So, it'll be interesting to see Keon Menafield. So, that's kind of my wild card to keep an eye on. So,
1: by, by the way, by the way, Kim, did you happen to see what um what the news was on on Jamal was this week? He's going to
0: be on TNT. He's going to be fantastic. He's joined the TNT NBA team. And from what I've seen of him so far doing the broadcasting, I think he's going to be tremendous. And Chris, you've been around Jamal a little bit. You will never find a more kind, sweet guy that will absolutely kill you than Jamal Crawford. He's a well, killer. We used to give him
1: element, like at the crossover and stuff. He's just, oh. you know, Pied Piper of Seattle Hoops. Guys gravitate toward him. Um, yeah, he's he's just he's gonna kill it. He's 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 gonna be really good at that.
0: Couldn't have happened to a better guy. I I still think that he could suit up for any NBA team tomorrow and drop 40. <laughs> yeah. You have a shelf you have a shelf life in the NBA, and some of the guys are finding that out. But uh, you know, congrats to Jamal. He's just a fantastic guy. Honorary Husky, by the way. <laughs> there you go. That's what Lorenzo told him, because when um, Lorenzo, um, things weren't going well with UW basketball at that point in time. And um, so he went to Michigan. But uh, Jamal, uh, Jamal bleeds purple and gold. And uh, he's got a lot of loyalty to uh, Seattle and uh, University of Washington. So uh, can't be can't. It will not be a bad thing for uh, UW hoops having Jamal Crawford on a national stage. Uh, Scott Eklund, wrap it up
2: i I think Washington, like I said before, I think washington is uh, is in good shape to um, to to get a win and to get back on the winning trail and and uh, uh, but it's not gonna be it's not gonna be easy against Arizona state. They're a talented team, they have talent if they can um, and i I read uh, Chris Cartman's thing on Friday about that they're becoming much more aggressive under coach iguano sean iguano than they were under herman edwards just because of the personality of the coaches so um that's definitely something to keep an eye on i think washington's gonna have a good chance to go down there get a win get that monkey off their back They haven't beaten that team down in down in tempe for 21 years and uh, come back up for a game against arizona which look it's arizona but that's not going to be an easy game either so uh, Washington's got a lot on their plate. I think they're going to bounce back well, and uh, I look for them to have a relatively easy win, maybe not cover the points, but definitely a relatively easy win.
0: Chris Fetters, wrap it
1: up. Yeah, I think that uh, it's going to be interesting today because I I think Oguano is trying to get them a little bit more aggressive. I think he's trying to weed out a lot of the maybe the elements that were uh, creating some divisiveness in the locker room. I think he's trying to get some of that done before – Arizona State kind of makes their their formal changes in terms of the head coach and whatnot, and who knows? Maybe he ends up being the, the full-time head coach. We'll see. Um, but that said, I think the UCLA loss was so huge for Washington in so many different ways, but the biggest thing was I think it really opened their eyes to what this group needs to do on the road and And Eric Schmidt talked about it this week when I talked to him he said this it it should never matter where we're playing, what the surface is, what time of the day it is. It really shouldn't matter. We need to bring our own energy and it's all about us, and we need to you know it's it's like we all we we all we got we all we need that kind of thing and I think this that 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 particular game win or or lose was so huge for them because they needed that baseline. So now they can go to Tempe and play today in the way that they should have played at UCLA. And that's why I think that this could be a strong bounce back game for Washington. I don't know if I see it as comfortable as Scott does. I predicted 41-31. I'm really seeing that I, I expect Arizona State to get off to a positive start. Who knows if that means it's because they get the ball first and go down and score or what have you. But I could see this game being like, 17-17 or 21-21 at half, and then Washington goes in and makes the adjustments like they made against UCLA, comes out and gets a couple of maybe those key turnovers that we talked about a little bit earlier, trying to get the ball back, maybe get a short field or two, convert on those, and eventually win the game by like 10 points. And so I, I think that's how I see the game panning out. But, I again, I echo a lot of what we've already talked about. I don't think this is going to be an easy game. I think Arizona State has a lot of playmakers on offense that Washington has to really account for. It's how Washington attacks Arizona State defensively and what Arizona State is going to try to scheme. Because I could see Arizona State coming out with some interesting schemes that maybe they haven't shown on tape Because of the change in coaching, because they probably feel like they don't have a lot to lose at this point. So they're going to go out and they may just throw caution to the wind and they may stack the box and try to really throw a lot of players at Penix to try to get him off his spot. And we'll see how Washington reacts to that. I think it may take a series or two to really get them going. But I think as we've seen all season long, once that offense gets going, it really starts to tick away. So uh, I do expect Washington to end up winning this game today, but I
0: don't think it's going to be easy. Arizona State, funny things happen in the desert. So we'll see if uh, anything funny happens in the desert today. Again, 1 o'clock kickoff, and the Mariners' first pitch is at 107 as well. Is it 107, Chris, for the Mariners?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so
0: right. that's, that's just such a – oh, my
2: gosh. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: don't so. want to talk about it. So anyways, uh, expecting a fun day today down in Tempe. So uh, just a reminder for those who are not subscribers, go ahead and sign up for Dogman.com and pay the full freight for the year, 99 bucks for the year. And you get Paramount Plus included on that and lots of good stuff on Paramount Plus. So if you're paying the full $99 a year, we don't offer the Paramount Plus. If you're on the promo, you don't get the Paramount Plus until after the first year and you pay the full freight. But it, if you pay the $99, you get Paramount Plus For no additional cost. So, anyways, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go, dogs.